0: Hello there, my name is Bill Fay, and I'm really excited that you have chosen to order and listen to the tape called, How to Share Your Faith Without an Argument. I'd like to just take a second and tell you a little bit about my background. It certainly wasn't someone that always revered Jesus Christ. In 1980, I owned one of the larger houses of prostitution in the United States. I was involved in racketeering, bookmaking, and gambling. And I was also president and chief executive officer of a major multi-million dollar multi-international corporation. I had everything that the world said you ought to have, but the world lied to me. And as a man who reflects back and thinks about all of you who came into my life to share their faith with me, and I can remember rejecting and persecuting and antagonizing every one of you, and I know it sent some people away very discouraged, like they failed. But you see, they never failed. None of you failed when you were obedient to Christ to come into my life. You see, I remember the face and the words of every single one of you that ever shared with me about Jesus Christ. And March 4th, 1981, God brought all of it to bear when I found out what it was to know and to meet Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior. And I want to be an encouragement to all of you today who have people in your life that may seem difficult, that number one, God is sovereign. If he can take somebody like me and change him, He can take anybody in your life and change them as well. But the difficulty is he can't if you don't share. He can't if you feel like a failure. Because success is sharing your faith, living your life out for Jesus Christ. It has nothing whatsoever to do with bringing anyone to the Lord. We have to do more than just offer little tiny tidbits of gospel truth. We just can't say to someone, I love the Lord, I'll pray for you, or I go to church. I kind of imagine that's like being near a table full of these little tiny microscopic sandwiches when you're hungry. No matter how much you hang around the table with these hors d'oeuvres, you never seem to get full. And I think the same thing is true with people in our lives. We owe them more than just a tiny little tidbit. Until they hear and know what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, they can't truly receive it. And so I'm excited with this upcoming seminar to be an encouragement to you that you can't fail, and that possibly this can be a new and a fresh and dynamic way that you'll be able to tenderly confront people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm excited for what may happen in your churches, because as a church is vital and obedient in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, I just know God has a special place in his heart for people and churches that are obedient to his word. I always begin a seminar with two questions. And my first question seems to always kind of stump people, but I'm curious if it'll stump you. How? What do you think is the biblical mandate of the evangelist? Take your best shot. The wishing do is probably be mistaken. What do you think is God says is my responsibility as an evangelist? What is the biblical mandate for me? To glorify God? No. That's okay. Yes, sir. To make disciples. In other words, go. No. To preach the gospel, no. Yes, sir. To testify what God has done in my life, no. You see, the biblical mandate for the evangelist is not to share his faith, but Ephesians four twelve. Pastor, teacher, evangelist to equip the saints. I have the privilege in this seminar of exercising my gift to equip to encourage and to motivate you by the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is where my area of giftedness is. I believe with all my heart and conviction that if God somehow made it a gift, as we think of a gift, to evangelize, it would be very easy for all of us to look at them and say, their responsibility, I am off the hook. But the Great Commission is our responsibility. And I'm looking forward to how all of you choose to carry it out. So my next question, which is easier, and rarely do I not have all hands go up on it, but how many of you here have ever wanted to share your faith and chickened out? Is there any hand that's not going up because I'm going to ask you? (laughs) I've chickened. out. Everybody chickens out. Folks, we're not perfect. We're sinners saved by grace. But this is an important time now, and I want to ask you to be honest with me and tell me Why? Why have you struggled in sharing your faith? What have you been afraid of? Who wants to volunteer to confess first? Ma'am, in the, in the stripes there. Ooh. I don't know if, if you can hear her. Feeling inadequate and the fear of rejection. I personally don't know of an emotion any stronger that I feel than the emotion of rejection. I can kind of be spring-loaded for it at times. In your brochure there, you will see a definition of success. Success is not leading someone to Christ. Success is acting out your Christian life, sharing the gospel, trusting God for the results. Success is not leading someone to Jesus Christ. Folks, we in this culture have done a real disservice to you by inferring that you're to win one to Jesus Christ, I understand the principle behind that, but I'm uncomfortable with the choice of words because that implies for you that you have to do it. If you really believe this morning that success is sharing your faith, living out your Christian life, and it is not bringing someone to Christ, you'll connect with the fact that it is not you they are rejecting, it is Jesus they are rejecting, it is God's Word they're rejecting, it's never you guys if you will just believe that you'll realize you can't fail think about it this is one area of your Christian life you cannot botch if you'll say something even if what you say is somewhat tactless even unloving my father can use that he can't use your silence I mean I've seen some strange ways people have shared their faith we've got some a group of young people down our way that got a hold of a casket Now, I mean God's gotten me to to do some strange things, but this isn't one I volunteer for. And they actually put one of the teens in this casket. And they take this casket down to a main street in our town. And they kind of haul this thing along with that New Orleans revelry music or whatever it is. And I guarantee you a crowd will gather because you haven't seen a casket going down your main street here, I doubt, right? (laughs) So all of a sudden they pop the thing down and this pretend pastor gets up behind the casket. And Oh, by the way, they pop the lid and there's a guy in there. And I mean, he looks dead. And so they're reading this thing. And, and, you know, here's nice old John. And John liked to fish and, you know, read. And I mean, he's saying this is the dead eulogy. And finally, the guy jumps out of the casket, points at the pastor and says, listen, you never told me. You never told me that I had to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I am on the way to hell because of you. In the meantime, all the other teams that are out among the audience start passing out the four spiritual laws and start evangelizing. See, there's many ways to evangelize. I mean, you're not getting me in that casket till the day I'm going home, folks, and then I don't care. But each of you are so unique that there's a variety of ways you can share without failure. It's God's Word they're rejecting. It's Jesus they're rejecting. It's never you. It's never me. Give me some other areas you struggle with. Good. Where to start, how to approach them. In about three minutes, I believe that will never be a problem for you again. Hmm. In fact, let me give you an interesting thing to store into your mind. Out of a hundred conversions that come to know Jesus Christ, only 15% come from what we call an event. What's an event? Billy Graham crusade, your pastor preaching from a pulpit, Friendship Sundays that I do, it reaches only 15% of all conversions. However, 85% of all of you who came to know Christ came when you heard the gospel an average of 7.6 times. In other words, it takes the non-believer an average of 7.6 times to hear the gospel before they receive it. And the reason your question is so valid is how do you know the person you're standing next to hasn't heard it seven times, and you're 0.6. And all you got to do is say something, and God's going to do the rest. Okay, And we're going to cover that in just about two minutes. Any other places you guys struggle? Concerned, they're going to ask me a question that I won't know. How long have you been a Christian? 28 years. Whenever I do a seminar, the person that always raises the question about fear of not knowing enough is a Christian of 10 years or more. And I always kind of tease you a little bit and say, the problem is, sir, you know too much. You're spiritually constipated. You need to get you need to get rid of some of this information. In fact, at the end of the seminar, I will let you share the gospel in 30 seconds or less. It's so simple. I will do my best to remember you, and I will pick on you then. Anybody else? <laughs> Nobody's going to raise their hand now. But go ahead. <laughs> It's okay. Go for it. One more. I think you're often afraid of offending the other person. I'm often afraid of offending the other person. Very valid concern. The gospel will be offensive, but you do not have to be. Your responsibility is to be loving and tactful when you share your faith. However, let's deal in a reality. Here's your option you have an option to say nothing and love somebody right into the pit of hell itself. That is the dynamics of the sin of silence. So how do we go about initiating a conversation? How do we go about not being personally offensive and yet getting the feeling that we and the Holy Spirit are in control of what's going on here? Let me see if I can pick on somebody. I'll pick on the guy with the mustache down there in the end. Would you come up a minute for me, please? Yeah, I usually say who's got the gift of cantankerous, but um, there's no such thing, and I don't know if he's got it, but we're about to find out. And your first name, please. Nate, Nate, I'm going to ask you to just be a pagan, a (laughs) non-believer. Okay? Think Think back. You can either be someone that you think you might have to share with, or you can be whatever. Oh. By the way, you have a little assignment while I'm doing this. Would you please listen for two things? See if you can pick up what am I doing and what am I not doing. As we just do this little role play, see if you can pick it up. What am I doing and what am I not doing? And let's suppose Nate and I kind of bumped into each other and I haven't stumbled out of a bar. I've earned the right to share my faith. And we're just sitting there kind of like your question. How do you get something started? I just turned and I said, I'm curious, Nate, do you have any kind of spiritual belief? I believe there's a God. So what is your understanding of who Jesus Christ is? Uh, He was a man that lived some time ago, but I'm not sure that he meant anything. So do you think there's heaven or hell? I'm not sure about that. You're a pretty tall guy, so if you fell over and died, where are you going? I'd like to think that I'm going to heaven. And why would God let you in? He's a pretty good guy. He's a pretty good guy. Nate, if what you're believing was not true, would you want to know it? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Good job. Appreciate it. Okay. Who picked up, what am I doing? Why are he and I not fighting? First of all, what was I doing? Who said that? Excellent. Where are you? Good ask questions why do you ask questions number one it puts you in control see what happens to many of us is we try to tell somebody about our faith their defense mechanism is better than our teller and the fights on another reason to ask questions besides putting you in control anybody who asks questions to love to express their ignorance don't they every one of you have an opinion on almost every subject whether we know anything about it or not don't we that's just the way we're made in America, folks. Now, who picked up what I didn't do? I didn't put him down. Go further than that. How come I didn't put him down? Did I say anything that put him down? No. Did I say anything at all? No. And you know where I learned that from? My wife. No matter what they say, all they get from me is, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm that's it but there's a principle behind that love is listening if you listen to me you love me see one of my goals is not just to hear the information but see if I can see some pain hear some pain connect with whatever God may wish to tell me through the Holy Spirit that's going on in that person's life so that these questions don't become just something mechanical Now, would you do me a favor and turn in your brochure and just look at those questions because I want to review them with you quickly before you actually role-play them. You see, the first question is, do you have any kind of spiritual belief? If you ask someone if they believe in God, they're going to tell you that's none of your business. But if you ask them if they have any kind of spiritual belief, and they go on for five seconds or five minutes, just "Mm -hmm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Mm -hmm. don't touch it because if you touch it they'll take you down a rabbit trail and you'll never get back to where you want to go look at the second question this works well for your religious friends your church attenders folks that have been churched that are non-relational for example to you who is Jesus they may say only begotten son of God the man that died on the cross God's only son All of these are biblically true, but they're very impersonal. It's as impersonal as every one of you know the name of the president, but I doubt if any of us have met him. When you meet him, the name becomes and the relationship becomes personal. If I went back to Nate and I said, I am curious as a believer to you who is Jesus, how would you answer that? Sure he is. My personal Savior. First word out of his mouth. You hear the difference between impersonal and personal? Now, the third question is very safe. It goes to their head. I had a lady sitting in my home one time, and I said, Ma'am, do you think there's heaven or hell? She said, Absolutely not. So I went to the fourth question. I said, If you died... Now, see, we're going to go from the head to the heart. I said, If you died, where are you going? Oh, she said, Heaven, of course. (laughs) My point is, when you go from something which is up here to something here people get real if they say they're going to heaven you just say to them why in the world would God let you in because the answer they're going to give you apart from a born again personal relationship with Jesus Christ is going to hang them later but look at the last question it is a very difficult question to dodge I make no apology for it Jesus asked the Pharisees and the Sadducees very difficult questions If and this is going to be your first test If what you are believing is not true, do you want to know it? Now, what are the two possible answers, guys? Yes or no. It does not take a rocket scientist, does it? Okay? Let me give you a statement that may surprise you. If it's yes, obviously, you go on. That's our goal with these questions, is to go to step two. There's only two steps. But what if it's no? In the thousands and thousands and thousands of times that I have asked this question never once, not ever, never have I had a no that's stuck. Let that sink in. Not once. Now let me define that. I have said to someone, if what you're believing isn't true, do you want to know it? I've had people go, no. But this will be tough for some of you co-enable, fix-it types that, you know, just stop. But what has always happened is when I stop, they say, well, Bill, aren't you going to tell me? I'll say, yeah, <laughs> you didn't want to know, and here we go again, see? I've never, not once, had a no that stuck, and we're going to be able to prove that in your life in just a few minutes as well. What I want you to do right now is take about two minutes out and role play with the person next to you. I don't expect you to know the questions. I want you to read them right out of your brochure to one another, and I'm going to walk around for about two minutes and just eavesdrop. Go. Okay, I hope all of you can hear the noise in this room. Why in the world is there so much laughter? There ought to be. It ought to be absolutely fun and joyful to do what's obedient and to share faith. And I'll I'll just kid uh, our leaders here that there's terrible sin in your organization. Um, As I walk around the room, what's happening is they're taking every foul, rotten thing that ever happened to them when they tried to share their faith and they're giving it to the other person in the role place. But what you guys, some of you have really connected with the fact that you're not failing, That success is sharing your faith, living your life out for Christ. It is never having anything to do with bringing anyone to the Lord. See, you can take these questions and do a variety of things with them. You don't always have to go one, two, three, four, five if you want to. Think of them kind of like a funnel. These questions take you to where you want to get, and that's where we're going to go next. But I can remember on Continental, not long ago, I'm uh, out early, and there's a little desk where they kind of pull the coupon on the ticket, not the big one. And she'd gathered up a flight and had counted her tickets, and I just walked up to her, felt kind of doing it. And I said, Ma'am, I love asking continental people a question. (laughs) She said, Oh, what? And I said, Well, if you died right now, where are you going? She said, That's the most important question anybody has ever asked me. And stepped off to the side and gave her life to Jesus Christ. See, there are so many point six situations in our life where people have heard the gospel and not been confronted. give you another short example, and I'll give you a little clue. If any of you are married to a type A personality, I will give you a secret about us. About every two and a half hours, we have to have what's called a people fix. We can't go without saying something. Um, I'm flying from Denver to Newark, and I'm reading a great book, and I'm... Kind of the plane jolted when it landed and it kind of took me into my mode of, I better say something. And there was a lady sitting next to me and she was obviously gathering up all of her business stuff. And I was just curious. I said, what is your origin? I thought maybe she was Hispanic. She said, no, I'm Egyptian. I said, well, that's fascinating. Now, let me give you my favorite bridge question you can write in above there on your brochure. This is my favorite get a conversation started question. Do you go to church? anywhere you'll usually get one of two answers my third cousin is a pastor in Nebraska <laughs> get that a lot or if it's a big enough town they'll say well I go to the um, it's the um, and they can't even remember the name of it but what happened was I just I just sit in awe of the sovereignty of God because she's sitting next to me and I said you go to church anywhere and now we're taxing toward the gate we've probably got maybe I don't know two and a half minutes and she said yes i am coptic catholic now if anybody doesn't know what that is it's kind of a form of greek orthodoxy into catholicism etc and i don't know where the question came from but it's the it's first time i ever remember asking the question but again the question i said ma'am how does a coptic catholic get saved now you know when you sit in a plane you're both sitting like this she turned right to me in the seat and she said i wish i knew how to be saved Folks, if there isn't a .6 there, I don't know what is. Now I have a a little minor problem. We're down to about a minute, minute and a half. And I can remember the captain coming, the speaker was right above us, and he started with something. And you could see her kind of bristle because she wanted to hear and I wanted to share until we both realized what he was saying. He said, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, we can't go to the gate right now. There's a plane at the gate. We have to go to what they refer to as the penalty box. And he said it'll be about 10 minutes. I said, Lord, more than enough time. Okay? Now, what I want you to do is to feel very free that the purpose of these questions is to seize a moment that God may be using in your life that prior you have not been aware of. Think of it this way. The cook in the home usually when they cook a roast or a turkey, they take a meat thermometer and they put it inside the roast because they want to determine what's going on inside the heart of the the meat. You can't see in there. So the way you know is you put a probe in there. That's what these questions are. They're simply, for me, a probe that I can kind of pop in there and say, God, are you doing anything? That's how I seem to run into a lot of Point six. It's okay to run into point ones because I haven't failed. I'm simply sowing seed, living my life out for Christ. I am not responsible for their conversion. Think of it this way if you cause the conversion, they are not saved. No man comes to Christ unless you draw them. Mm-mm. No man comes to Christ unless the Father draws them. I don't know of a more freeing thing in my life than to know I can't fail. Or that I don't have to take more time out during my week for another project. Evangelism is not a project. It is a lifestyle. If I had to convince you today that you had to take just one hour a week out of your life and evangelize, I'm going to lose you mentally. Every one of them. You might agree in principle, but I'm going to lose you. But if I can convince you today That as you move through life, there is not a conversation that you're going to have during any given day. You can't make a switch on it. Example, um, talking to a guy about the the basketball stuff that's going on. I mean, one minute, you know, you see these guys making mega money. Suddenly they're injured. I said to a man the other day, I said, I'm curious. I said, do you ever wonder what these guys are thinking when suddenly this has been their whole life and a career ends? making $10, 15000000 million a year and we find them drunk on the highway or, or suddenly they're, they're beating somebody up. or There's just disasters in their life. And a lot of the guys I talk with in terms of sports, they kind of perk up on that a little bit. And I say, yeah, I'm just curious. Do you have any kind of spiritual belief? See the switch? Maybe I'm talking with a mom that doesn't know the Lord about values. And I just said, what's the most important value you think you'd like to teach your children? Maybe they'll say education or honesty or something. And I'll simply say, yeah, that's important. If you died, where are you going? See the switch? You can take any conversation that you have with anybody and take one of these questions and insert it into the conversation. That's all. It's just that simple. You don't have to set more time as you move through your life, wherever you are, whoever you're in front of, you can say, excuse me, by the way, in fact, I'd like to give you a little assignment. That sometime this week, You will go out to one person and ask these first five questions. Go to a friend, an enemy, next-door neighbor, um, workmate, somebody. Because I want you to experience how open people are. If you want to try a little accountability, take a look at the person next to you and say to yourself, okay, if I don't tell them a week from today that I've done this, I'll take them out and buy them breakfast. Likewise, if they don't do it, they owe me breakfast. Just to give you a little accountability that God is serious about this and that we should be. Now, one thing I want to suggest to you. After you've asked the first five questions, the whole goal that I live for in my life is to get to God's word. That is my single purpose, other than determining if they're open, is that the questions will lead me to the word of God. But one suggestion I want to make. Please, when you share, don't carry Big Boomer. All of us have our normal, great, big, church going, Bible studying Bible. And think of the poor pagan. I mean, I had quite a terrible background in my old life. And I mean, if you would have shared with me out of loving concern and put this on the table, it would have been a tremendous embarrassment to me, and probably you and it would have been on the floor. I can remember even going into motel rooms when I traveled. And they would have the Bibles out on the desk. And by then I'd been shared with so much by people like you that I began to pick up some kind of Christianese language. And I can remember once while I'd find one that was open. And I would close it because I heard that things jumped out at you. (laughs) I mean, it, it has kind of an interesting mystique. But I would like to ask, is there any woman here who knows what a Derringer is. Give me a show of it. You're nodding. What is a Derringer, ma'am? A small pistol. Would you please check your purse, sir? <laughs> yes, you're 100% correct. And its purpose is to come out of hiding. You don't want people to know you're carrying it. This is my Derringer. This very small, handheld Bible. You see, if you didn't know it was a Bible, ma'am, what does it look like to you? A notebook, checkbook, yeah, depending on where your heart is, right? No, it's it's either one. (laughs) But it has a real deeper purpose other than being practical. You see, for us guys who have to wear a shirt with a pocket, it fits in it. If you're wearing or if you're carrying a purse, then you can put almost any size in it. I wouldn't get the very small ones because that's hard and it's not sensitive to people who have trouble reading the print couple of other things the reason I carry a sharing Bible and the key reason wherever I go wherever I am it is my way of saying to my Heavenly Father I am ready and willing to share my faith with you trust me that I believe that he will bring somebody into your life just don't miss him the other reason that I am comfortable with a sharing Bible whenever you take Big Boomer If yours is like mine, no matter where you open it up, any page at random, it's black, blue, yellow markings, notes all over from great sermons, Bible study, and the thing looks like a train wreck. But it's okay, because it's mine. But for the non-believer, I want something clean and easy for him to find. I don't know if you can see it even all the way into the back of the room, but I mean, I can open up and my simple little verses of which there are only about five markings in this whole little sharing Bible, they stick out like a sore thumb. And I can remember the other night where that really came into something for me that was kind of exciting. I was doing a, a little uh, kind of a talk with a group of homeless people and a mom came up to me and said, Bill, would you come pray for my son, Levi? I said, sure. Why? She said, I think he's demon possessed. I said, oh, OK, OK. <laughs> um, And so my friend and I went to meet Levi, and this young man came up, and he had his hair was all the way down to here, and the only thing you could see were little tiny slits in his eye. And there was a horrible darkness and oppression about him. And because they were not living in housing that that had the same lighting we have in this room, there was one bulb in almost a room about half the size of this. It was dim. And God just honored the fact that that little special marking that I used in my sharing Bible could be seen by Levi in that dark room. And, of course, the wonderful end of the story is God glorified himself when Levi chose to be free, gave his life to Christ, has since already been, that's only a week ago, in a Bible study. But again, one thing you should always commit to is do I have a sharing Bible and am I willing to share? Now, one other question, area that I want to cover quickly with you. The pagan, the non-believer, thinks he's got you when you take out your Bible. Remember, you've asked the first five questions. Suddenly you take out your Bible, and they almost get a smile on their face. It's like, uh uh-uh. They're convinced they got you, and they're going to raise an immediate objection. Usually the first one I hear is, "Uh uh-oh, Bill, Mm uh-uh. There is error in the book. Has anyone ever heard that besides me? I'll tell you how easy it is to get rid of it. Since he was nodding, all I do is hand them my Bible. And I say, sir, I've been reading that for a while. Could you show me one? And they go, um, well, um, um, I, say, I couldn't find one either. Let's just turn to Romans 3.23. <laughs> my point is, just don't get kind of all tied up in a knot on that objection, because it usually goes right away. The other one that you will hear is Bill. There are many translations of Scripture. They're convinced they got you nailed. Now, I've been to seminary, and here's a ten thousand dollar seminary answer, so please do not miss this. This costs roughly ten grand to get. Now, Bill, there are many translations of scripture. Here's the answer. Yes. But they all say the same thing. I just went down the row earlier. I saw King James, Amplified, uh, New American, Living. I mean, There's all kinds. But they're all saying the same thing, folks. But the pagan doesn't know that. He thinks he's got you. There are, there's many translations of Scripture. Yes. But, sir, did you know they all say the same thing? He says, no. I said, fine, let's just turn to Romans 3.23. That's it. It goes away. But for those of you who will run into more skeptics, I want to encourage you that for 2,000 years, men and women have examined this book. Some to prove it true, some to prove it false. No one has, and I have bet my life and your life on the fact that no one will. Let's deal in reality. The day they find an error in this book, you're foolish to be in this room with me. You're foolish to be following Christ. You have no reason to ever go to church because you have no hope. There is no God. However, we have bet our eternal life that the word of God is true period. No compromise on that subject. You can't have it part way. If it's not all true, then I worry about the rest of it. You can't have some of it true because it's comfortable. But how do you defend that? I mean, no matter how you examine this book prophetically, archaeologically, historically, is there a chance it could go wrong? Not from all the tests I've seen. Not from all the personal experiences that I've encountered. See, the freedom that you have to believe that this book doesn't fail. And remember, our goal is to get to this Bible. The purpose of those questions is to get to God's Word. So how can you use God's Word without an argument? I would like you to turn in your brochure there. And in your brochure, the, re- the approach of the plan we'll talk about two key biblical principles and i want you to get this the first biblical principle which all of you are familiar with is romans 10:17 and from your response it says faith comes from what hearing, hearing. one more i didn't hear that faith comes from what hearing. hearing okay key word hearing now we're going to apply one other biblical principle from Luke 10.26, Jesus is seeing a person reading the law. And he basically walks up to them and says, Sir, how do you read it? We would probably say today, what's it say to you? So how can we put these two principles together so that you can actually share God's word without an argument? Let me show you just how simple that is can be let me borrow you if I may hi Ed thank you what I'm going to do is first of all when this non-believer I love getting my Bible on his lap and I want to see if if any of you have picked up this principle see if you have because I, here's a question how am I going to ask Ed to read this Oh good for you out loud because faith comes from, Hearing, okay? So what you want to make sure you do to someone is say to them, please read it out loud, because it's not common to read out loud. You read the newspaper quietly, you read quietly, you study quiet. So, Ed, would you do me a favor and would you read the twenty third verse there in Romans out loud? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, here's how you avoid the argument. Ed, what does it say to you? And you know what I do? I turn the page. That's it. Just hit him. He can't fight with me. He can't say it's my interpretation, can he? Because Bill Fay hasn't opened his mouth. I am in the page turning business. The Holy Spirit does all the convicting. The Holy Spirit does all the convincing. I get to turn a few pages. I have one goal. To stay out of God's way. That's all I do. If you were looking for something complicated, it's not. Because all I want to do is get people to God's Word. I want to simply say, would you read this out loud? What does this say to you? And let the Holy Spirit start the incredible process of convicting and convincing them. Now, test time. First of all, I'd like all of you to do something. Since already there you're in your brochure, there's a list of suggested scriptures. I want you now with me, if you would, to open your Bibles to Romans 3.23. Because I know what's happening to some of you. You're saying, I'm never going to remember all of these verses. So I'm going to give you a Christian cheat sheet. I'm going to give you a way that you cannot forget. And here's how you do it. If you would get to Romans 3.23... And then I would ask you to take your Bible and turn it towards me. Just like you were going to ask me to read it out loud. Turn your Bible, nicely upside down, and that was a terrible choice of words. Things <laughs> fell out all over the place. Now, if you'll notice, my Bible is facing you, like yours is facing me. Here's your cheat sheet. Every one of you have a white margin up here. That's just the way Bibles are made. The margin nearest your tummy. And I would like you to write up here, Romans 6.23. Why am I having you do that? You caught it. Why, ma'am? It's where we're going next. It is your cheat sheet. They will be convinced you've been to seminary and spent the same money I have and all that, but it's okay. You see, it's just a marvelous, simple way that if you can remember Romans 3.23... The rest is going to be a wonderful trail. Now, we're going to get a little participatory from this point on, so you may as well stay alert. But my first question to the gentleman down there on the left in the blue shirt. I am the non-believer, and since you have your Bible open, I would like you to share that with me. Tell me what to do. I'm the non-believer, and you're trying to share Romans 3.23 with me. Let's see if he does it correctly. And if he doesn't, you can punish him. Okay? He was perfect. He said, read it aloud. Never forget that. Excellent. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Oh, he's good. He just said, look at his body language. Look how relaxed he is. He's on the spot with all of you in here, and he is totally relaxed. He just said, with all calmness, what does that mean to me? You can afford to be that comfortable when God is doing the work. Now, let's suppose you want to turn the screw just a little bit tighter. Some ways that I sometimes do that on this verse, not necessarily every time. Let me see who I can pick on that looks kind of innocent. Um, hi there. Yes, ma'am. Have you ever committed uh, Have you ever committed murder? No. Have you ever been angry, called someone a fool, or waved them off on the freeway? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Mm-hmm. Did you know? <laughs> Did you know God says that's the same as murder? See, and there's a whole room full of serial killers here right with you. (laughs) If you who are covered by the shed blood of Christ suddenly had that just hit you, because from God's perspective, that's who we were, can you imagine how it can hit a non-believer who isn't covered by the shed blood of Christ? So that's just some tools that I use, whether you choose to use them or not, is a matter of your own personality and style. Let's turn to Romans 6.23 in your Bible, and I would like to know, and I'll probably pick on somebody here, what verse are you going to put up above Romans 6.23 so you know where you're going? Let me pick on the lady with a nice bow in her hair. Hi. Good for you, John 3.3. 3. Okay, so if you would, as your Bibles are facing me, put John 3.3 3 above Romans 6.23, because that's where we're going to be going next. There's a part of me, and maybe you have some unsaved relatives or kind of folks in your life that frustrate you. They're the kind of people that you would like to be able to turn to and say, Listen, dummy, I don't care whatever it is you claim, you're on the way to hell. And that dumb little church that you're attending isn't going to save you. So, you know, you can't do that. That's kind of tacky. So there's a way that I think you can do it that says the same thing, but is very loving. So as your Bible now faces you instead of me, I'm going to give you a suggestion how you might mark Romans 6.23 so that you're going to be able to use kind of a little hammer, and get away with it. So here's how I'd like you to mark it. The verse says, the wages of sin is death. Where it says sin, if you would underline the word sin, just underline or circle it in your Bible. Where it says, the wages of sin is death, if you wouldn't mind, draw a little line through the word death, and somewhere in big letters alongside there, write the word hell. Now we're not changing Scripture. The word death in Scripture always means eternal separation from God. Now, if you have a version that says the gift of God is eternal life in. If it says through, just leave it be. But if it says in, circle it. And I'm going to show you why. As you know, we always have them read the verse out loud, remember, and then we say, what does it say to you? But here's how you can kind of use a fresh approach. And let me borrow Jonathan here. Please read for me, Jonathan, if you would. Romans 6.23 out loud. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now here's a way that if you choose, you can again kind of turn the screw a little bit tighter. In two verses, you can basically tell him for one sin he's going to hell. And the religious stuff he's hiding behind is not going to save him. And here's how you can do it. Jonathan, did you notice that I underlined in my Bible the word sin? Yes. You know why I do that, Jonathan? Because it reminds me that there's no S at the end of the word sin. God says, for me, one sin, he'll send me to hell. See, what I haven't done is pointed at him. That's nasty. None of us like our finger pointed at anybody. That's pretty threatening. But I'm pointing at me, both verbally and physically. Did you notice that I have circled the word in in my Bible, Jonathan? Yes, I did. And you know why I do that? Because it reminds me. Now, here goes his religion. It reminds me that what God is saying is that he wants me in a relationship with his son, not in a religion. So in two verses, we basically told them, through God's word, for one sin, they're on the way to hell. And just church attendance by itself is not going to save him. But I want to make one other point here. I am so convinced that when we get to the power of God's word, there's a different dynamic. And I'm not sure I can just verbally prove it to you until you experience putting your Bible in front of somebody, saying, please read it out loud, and what does it say to you? But I want to give you an illustration. Remember, the purpose of the five questions besides getting information is to get to God's word. So I was asked to go to a school. It's an end of the line for wayward girls. I mean, these girls have been through the whole judicial system. They cast them off. No hope. I was asked to see a 15-year-old young lady and asked her the first five diagnostic questions. What she said to me was, She knew nothing about God, nobody had ever shared with her, and on and on it became very clear. But she gave me permission to go to God's word. Now we got to just this second verse, and watch what the Lord did. I had her read Romans 6.23 out loud, said, What does it say to you? And here was her answer. She said, I need to ask God to forgive me for all of my sins. She said, I need to invite Jesus Christ into my life and into my heart. Now, ma'am, does that verse say that? Not even close, does it? Where in the world do you think she got that from? The Holy Spirit. This is his job, folks. He does the convicting, the convincing, and the teaching. Now, you know what I didn't do is I didn't say, hold it, i got five more verses. (laughs) Because I heard what God was doing. I simply turned to her and said, are you ready to make that decision now? And praise the Lord, she was. So here we go. John 3.3. Follow over, turn over, here we go. But when you get to John 3.3, I'm going to fool you. We're going to do something a little bit different. So take your Bible and turn it towards me, please. First of all, the part I know you'll know is that the verse that is going to go up above John 3.3 is what, folks? Hey, you guys are really getting it. John 14.6 is correct. But I would like you to put something else up there. I would like you also to put an X, like X-ray. Just put an X. I'll tell you why in a second. I would like you to draw a cross, like the cross of Christ. And then I would like you to write a question up there. Why did Jesus come to die? Why did Jesus come to die? So you've got an X, a cross, a question, why did Jesus come to die? And you've got John 14.6. Here's why you're doing that. Every time... You ask someone to read the verse out loud. I've been teaching you that I always want you to say, what does it say to you? But nothing's ever quite that easy, so we're going to put in one exception. That's why you put an X up there. The X is to remind you this is the exception and the only time you don't do this. And here's why. I usually make a transition out of Romans 6.23 by saying something to the person, look, you've just seen what God wants for you is a personal relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're wondering how in the world you get into that kind of a relationship with the Lord. So I turn over to John 3.3, just like you've done, and I'm going to have them read the verse how? Yay! You guys are super. Now, don't ask, what does it say to them? And I think I can give you a biblical reason not to do that. They won't understand. I mean, if you look at Nicodemus, here was a man that was brilliant. Religious beyond religious. And I believe the Lord gave him an answer that you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he simply, in my language, would probably say he just freaked out. He said, look, I'm old. My mother's old. I can't go back in my mother's womb. In other words, he would probably say in today's language, Lord, what in the world are you talking about? And since I'm sensitive that the person I'm sharing with isn't going to know either. I don't ask, what does it say to you? I go right to the question, why did Jesus come to die? And they usually say, well, he came to uh, die for sin, or he came to save us, or he did something. Most people have some answer or knowledge. But here comes the connection. I usually take out my pen. You can take out a a fork on the table, a lipstick tube, or anything. I just want to make a visible sign of the cross. And all I say to them is, look, when Jesus Christ got up on that cross, took upon himself all of your sins, my sins and sins of the whole world, he died. But remember the verse you just read, Romans 6.23, that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the non-believer goes, they always seem to nod and they remember it i say, look, here's the connection. My pen is just like the gift from God. For example, ma'am, I notice you've got kind of an inexpensive pen there. And cheap. (laughs) And if I offered you my only good pen and you wanted it, what would you have to do? You'd have to accept it, wouldn't you? Now, most people, I'd say roughly 70% of anybody you offer your pen to, are going to simply not quite say accepted yet. First reaction will be, they say, I'd have to thank you. Don't help them. Hold the pen right in front of them. You watch what comes out of their mouth next. They will say, I'd have to pay you for it. I hold it right in front of them. I don't help them. And if you watch, the Adam's apple starts to bob up and down. I have never figured out the dynamic that's going on, but I will not help them. Finally, they will say, I'd have to take it, accept it, or receive it. And the moment they say that, I want to make a handoff between my hand, my pen, and into their hand. Because the moment they take my pen, as she has, here's the connection. I'll say, you know, ma'am, the cross, the gift from God, is just like my pen. It doesn't become your gift till you just do one thing to get it. If you are watching at this moment, you're going to see kind of a little click in their eye it's like only one the simplicity of it strikes them number two they they know they quote ain't got it and almost everything at this point picks up an incredible spiritual speed and we're even going to pick up a little speed because we're heading over now to what verse John fourteen six. good job and I'll pick on somebody I'm going to pretend to be the non-believer and ask one of you to share that verse with me The gentleman in the blue and white striped shirt there. Hi. I am the non-believer. Would you share John 14.6 with me, please, sir? I have this in my Bible. Um, Could you read this out loud for me, please? Perfect so far. Um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What does that mean to you? You guys are super. It's exactly correct. And you know what? This is a tougher place to do it than one-on-one with anybody you're going to share with because you've got... A whole bunch of folks staring at you, thinking, glad you can call on me, right? (laughs) But that's excellent. Okay, here's my answer. Um, What's it say to me? Well, it says real clear that it's Jesus or nothing. But did you notice my tone of voice changed? And I did that on purpose. Sometimes, I guess, just to change a little bit of the routine of saying, what does it say to you? I've said to somebody, do you see any other way to get to heaven? And I've had people actually go, No! And do you know why they're agitated? Because what they just read has become their truth, and you the dummy just asked them a question that's so obvious they're irritated. And I love it because it's being a true fool for Christ. You see, it's so freeing to just pick up the little nuances as God begins to move people through His Word. Now head on over to Romans 10, verses 9 through 11. And in your brochure right there by Romans 10:9 through 11, I want you to write something for me. In nice printed letters, just somewhere by that verse, I want you to write the three words read it again. Read it again. And I'm going to teach you a wonderfully simple principle to avoid an argument. It's called the read it again principle. And here's how it works. Whenever someone does not understand a scripture, whenever someone is not clear, confused, never tell them no. It's argumentative. Just simply say, would you please read it again. Now let me give you an illustration. And by the way, if there's any type A's that we talked about, please don't write any verses yet above Romans 10. I may fool you here. Now, here's the illustration. 2 a.m. one morning, some beloved pastor who didn't want to deal with a young man gave him my phone number. This young man was named Mark, and he was as drunk and as obnoxious and screaming as loud as anyone I believe I've ever come in contact with. I have some vivid memories how he fell off his bed twice while he was trying to talk with me. He would vomit he would say horrible things, and he would let out shrieks. And it was just a, it was a horrible thing that went on. And I'm trying to communicate, and it's just horrible. Because in the, in, in the teenage term today, he was truly wasted. But somehow I got him to agree to meet me the next day. And I borrowed a friend of mine named Frank. Frank was 28 years on heroin before he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. God gave him a wonderful ministry in the inner city working with junkies. But I didn't borrow Frank because he knew about junkies and drunks. I borrowed Frank because he is huge. (laughs) Because I don't know what I'm going to run into. So first of all, we get to this restaurant. We've prayed. Remember, I don't have any idea what Mark looks like. He could not describe himself. So I get to the restaurant. we got the water glasses on the table. And I figured anybody that did this to his body, there's a possibility I might spot him. So in he comes. This guy looked like a train wreck, but I saw one other thing. I saw tears. My immediate reaction to be sensitive, I said, Frank, let's get out of this restaurant right now. Left our water glasses on the table, got Mark out to my car, put Mark in my back seat, drove over under a great big oak tree by a county jail. I can remember that because it was so warm and hot outside. Got my Bible on Mark's lap in the back seat of my car. We're turning the pages, just like you've been learning to do. Mark, read it out loud. What's it say to you? Read it out loud. What's it say to you? We got to Romans 10. And if you'll look at verse 11 and even verse 13, there's a double promise there, a wonderful promise from God. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Your version may say anyone who calls the name of the Lord won't be disappointed. But God doesn't just say it once in there. He says it twice. We get to this verse. Mark read it out loud. I said, Mark, what does it say to you? And at that point, another voice came out of him and said, it can't save him. My hair did probably just what yours did. It just went shoo. I looked over, Frank's immediately bowed in prayer. And what do you think I said to Mark at that moment? Read it again. Yes, yes. I'm not going to fight with this demon. Let God defend his word. Let the Holy Spirit do his job. God is far better at defending his word than I am. So I had Mark read it out loud again. I said, what does it say to you? And it got nastier. The demonic thing simply said it can't save him or anyone else. See, they love to make the lie bigger. What do you think I said? read it again that's exactly what i said we did this about 10 to 15 times and the key is finally god's word broke through see that's my goal i want to get to god's word so it penetrates and it did sight in the back of my car i'll never forget mark would bend over and he'd weep and there's a big difference to me between when a man cries and when a man sobs mark would sob from his heart he was just broken He'd sob, he'd sob and he'd sob and he'd sob and suddenly he'd throw his hands up and he'd hit kind of the tinny part of my roof and he'd praise God and he'd praise God and he he'd pray. down he'd go again. And this would go on for about 10, 15 minutes. Weep, weep, went up, praise, pray And it's like he didn't even know we existed. So I looked over and I'm, I don't know if you are like me, but maybe 10 minutes had gone by. And every now and then my mind will take a right-hand turn and just go somewhere. And I can remember looking in my rearview mirror thinking, I wonder what I'm going to say if a cop comes. I mean, how would I explain this? And I looked over, and here's Frank. He's just praying. And I tapped him on the leg and kind of jolted him out of his prayer. And I said, Frank, have you ever seen anything like this? He said, yeah, my own conversion. (laughs) Whenever someone doesn't understand a verse, just say, please read it again. I'm going to make a suggestion. If any time any of the verses that I use are uncomfortable for you, to use please change them all of God's word brings conviction please it is the power of the word not just the verse folks but for now if you're comfortable with it go ahead and put revelation 320 up there because that's where we're going to go and I'm going to try to fool one of you because this is a real tough test and we're going to put you on the spot we're going to test out a couple of principles as you turn over to Revelation 3.20. And let me pick on the nice-looking gentleman there in the blue with a tie there. And I am the pagan. And I'm going to ask him to share Revelation 3.20 with me. And I want to see if I can trick him. I'm going to try to trick him so you guys listen for this. Okay, sir, go ahead and tell me what to do. What I do what? Please read this. Read this. Oops. Out loud. Good. He caught it. Okay. Um, Jesus said, here I am. I stand outside the door and I'm knocking. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and be with him and he with me. Now, what follows? What do you say? That's perfect. What does it say to me? You're right on because that's what we do with the exception of John 3.3. 3. No, no, no. <laughs> that's great. No. No, hang on yet. I haven't fooled you yet. Okay, what does it mean to me? I'll tell you what it means to me. It means to me that if Jesus opens the door, he's coming right in. Mm -mm. Somebody help him? Read it again. Why are you having me read it again? Because I gave you a bad answer. Some people are going, what happened? Look, (laughs) I have him read Revelation 3.20 out loud. That's what he had me do, and that was perfect. He said, Bill, what does it say to you? And I gave him an incorrect answer. I said in my nervousness, if Jesus opens the door, Jesus is coming in. Uh Uh-uh, you got it. Uh -uh, Uh-uh, uh-uh. If you open the door, you see Jesus is the perfect guest. He never goes where he's not invited. So in the nervousness of my pretending to be a non-believer, I gave him an incorrect answer. And instead of telling me no... With tenderness, you simply all said to me, Well, Bill, just go ahead and read it again. See, let the Holy Spirit deal with me. There's the incredible freedom that it's all God's work from beginning to end. Now we come to a part that the Christians seem to fear the most. I call it the close. Asking for a decision. And for some reason, you guys get all concerned and get nervous about this and get your knickers in a knot or whatever's going on. But you know what? Again, this is all God's work. And if I'm not mistaken, was it Dale that I promised he would be able to share the gospel in 30 seconds or less? You Remember that? So I'm going to put him in a picture as we're going to deal with what I call the final five questions which is in front of all of you and I'm gonna put him into a story and it's a true story that happened to me about seven years ago Dale, you're driving on a road you just left your Wednesday night church service as I had came around a corner and you see the flight for life helicopter down on the ground you look over and you see a Volkswagen absolutely creamed against a tree you realize, because you can still see the hydraulics, that they had used the jaws for life to pull a young 17-year-old boy out of the car. Now, he's laying on a stretcher. The tubes are in him all over the place. And you've got 30 seconds to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. But Dale, you got one other problem. He can't speak. All he can do is go, huh, he can grunt a little. So you feel led by the Lord to walk through the crowd, quickly kneel down by his ear. You've got it. Go ahead and do it, and I'll time you. Are you a sinner? Huh. Does how mean yes? Mm. <laughs> do you hmm Do you want forgiveness for your sins? Huh. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross for you and rose again? Huh. Are you willing to surrender yourself to Christ? Huh. Are you ready to invite Jesus into your heart and into your life? You see, if his huh was from his heart, he is saved. The gospel is so simple that that took you about 16 seconds to share with me. Because you had mentioned as being, I believe, one of the newer Christians, I want you to get a perspective that the gospel is so simple that it could be shared in 30 seconds or less if you needed to. You see, there's a tremendous reality because the next day that boy was dead. I know one biblical fact. That God loved him enough to give him an opportunity at the last moment to receive his son, Jesus Christ. And if that boy had, he's walking the streets of gold going, this is close. Okay? There was a wonderful topper to that story. About seven years later, I'm doing a seminar in a church And after the seminar, a grandmotherly type came up to me. And she said, Bill, was it a green Volkswagen? Nobody knew that but me and the Lord. I said, yes, ma'am, it was. How did you know? She said, that was my grandson. Tell me the prayers of the faithful don't get answered. It is exciting. It is touching. I get a lump in my throat every time I think about God's awesome love to reach all of those people that are in your life you see these final five questions are really questions that their mind has already agreed to from reading the scripture look at question one are you a sinner remember Romans 3:23: all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God you see these match right up the questions with the verses But now we get to a couple final principles. And I'd like you to write down right there under the last verse two other key words. I would like you to write the word silence. And then I'd like right alongside of it you to write the word pray. Silence slash pray. Here is the principle. Whenever you ask the last question, are you ready to invite Jesus Christ into your life and into your heart, go silent. There's a part of me that would almost like to say, please shut up, but that's a little tacky, so go silent and pray. Because this is probably the most crucial question that has ever been asked this person in their life or might ever be asked of them again. And I do not want you to get in God's way. Fifteen seconds of silence to them can feel like three minutes. Why? The Holy Spirit's working on them. God's Word's working on them. People that know you're sharing are interceding. They're working on them. The angels in heaven are sitting there rooting. And folks, this is a tremendous moment and it's warfare you better take it serious enough to pray I can pray in my mind while I'm talking with you at that moment are you ready to invite Jesus Christ into your life and into your heart please go silent and pray do not say a word until they do there are only two possibilities now we're back to the simplicity there are two possibilities to the question, are you ready to invite Christ into your life and into your heart? Guys, what are they? Yes, yes and no. Same thing. Rocket scientist, we don't need. Okay? Yes or no. If it's yes, hallelujah. Because if they've said yes from their heart, they're saved. Do I pray the sinner's prayer? Yes, because I'm totally comfortable with it. For me, by my style, I just may grab their hand and say, would you pray after me? But what if it's no? That happens. But I'm not in panic over it, because here's a very simple principle. The last word I would like you to write is a three-letter word called Y, W-H-Y. And here's how you deal with objections to the invitation to invite Jesus Christ into your life and into your heart. I would like some of you now to give me objections to that question. You're ready to invite Christ into your life and heart. Give me some objections you think you'll hear. Yes, sir. I'm not ready. Common one that comes up all the time. And here's how you deal with it. Why? Because I don't think I need to yet. Why? See why I'm doing this. First of all, is do any of you have any idea why she's not ready? Of course you don't. You're not God. We pay sometimes 50 to to $100 to a psychologist who says, Ma'am, why do you feel this way, right? And why do we do this? He is really rooting deeper to find out if there's a hidden issue here. I don't have any idea why she's not ready. It could be very sincere, or it could be just a surface defense mechanism. Okay? So why, ma'am? See? It's a hard one to get past. Give me some others to the question, Are you ready to invite Jesus Christ in your life? Yes, sir. Oh, uh, We have a partier. I'm having too much, too much fun. Let's just role-play with that for a minute. Um, you're kind of into the party-hardy scene, kind of the sex, drugs, rock and roll stuff? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they know you, huh? <laughs> I'm just curious. You know, you've been so honest with me and, and open to let me share what's been so important for me in my life, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ and i just like to ask you a sincere question. I mean, I wonder how many parties that you're going to have to go to before you really feel like a man. That's a heavy question, isn't it? See, but let's just take it a little further. You've been very, and I call this one kind of my velvet hammer um, approach. Um, <laughs> but let's suppose I just want to bring some harder reality in a soft way into his life. I probably would do it by doing something like this. Uh, Jonathan, I want to make sure that I have presented the gospel clearly to you because I really think that's important that both of us have have fulfilled our responsibility. You've heard it and i presented it. Let's suppose that you have rejected Jesus Christ as you're about to do and you decide to go to the next party and get wasted and you do something foolish and for something happens and you're dead. According to God's word, where does it say you'll go? Now, notice one thing. I didn't ask him if he believed it. I just asked him according to God's word. Jonathan, where does it say you'd go? It says you'd go to hell, doesn't it? We'll have a nice evening. That's pretty... Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can remember one time being in a, in a church in, in, a, in kind of a country town. You can almost picture this six-foot, four-inch undertaker and he had those huge country hands, that he came through, and he just had a hold of my hand at the back of the church door. And, and man, when he got a hold of your hand, you knew it. And, and I got him, and, and I said, Sir, do you know the Lord? Nope. I said, I want to make sure I presented the gospel clearly. If you died, where are you going? He says, hell. I said, have a nice day. It was two days later, he was back in that pastor's office. You know, it would be very difficult to live with the honest reality of really knowing that's where you're going, I guarantee you Jonathan will drive very carefully. (laughs) You might just stay home. Okay, any others that you are hearing or think you might hear? Yes, sir, in the back. I'm too big a sinner. And what are you going to say to him, Marty? One word. He's too big a sinner. Why? I don't have any idea why he thinks he's too big a sinner. Why, sir? Have you done some terrible things? Do you remember that verse that you read in Romans 10 that says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved? Do you remember that one? Do you think that includes murderers? Yes. Does it include uh, men who are divorced? Does it include you? You see, the transition is That if God can forgive a heinous crime, he can forgive yours. You see, there isn't any sin that God's not willing to forgive if we'll turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And very common people say to me, but I don't think he can forgive me. Why? I'm too big a sinner. Why? Well, because I've done some horrible things. And I will go back to remind them of what they've read in God's Word. And most of the time it's pretty safe to say to someone, have you committed murder? And they'll say no. But i say, you know, does that say that God would forgive a murderer if he turned to him? It sure does. And so I make the transition. If I knew something about him and he was an alcoholic, I might say, does that include a murderer? And he'd say, yes, that includes someone who's stolen. Yes, does that include an alcoholic? I just personalized it. Go back and use God's word every moment that you can. Give me some other objections. Are you ready to invite Jesus Christ in your life? That's nice. That's my belief. Why? You don't believe that the Bible is necessarily true. Why? See, what happens oftentimes, as it's even happening with him, is they get defensive. But as they hear themselves verbalize, it makes no sense to them either. (laughs) And most of the time, the issue about Scripture is dealt with as you learned before you even opened the Bible. I usually deal with it there. I don't bother to go on unless somebody's just very willing to let me do that. Some other ones. I haven't heard some of the regular ones I hear. Are you ready to invite Christ into your life? Yes, sir. My family will think I'm crazy, or I'm, uh, my friends will, you know, be there. Yeah, my family will think I'm crazy. My friends will think I have just, you know, gone over. Probably true, sir. But why are you concerned about that? Like my friends. You like your friends, yeah good for you. They're afraid of what they're going to think. You know, I can't guarantee what they'll think, but I can guarantee that if you come to Christ, they'll see a change. And if they're really your friends, they'll still be around. If they're not your friends, they'll leave. So that'll be a first test of friendship. However, as a follower of Christ, I will hope that one of the first things you'll do is go back to them because you apparently care about what they think and tell them about what Jesus thinks of them. I had a friend, and and this comes up a lot of times in different ways. I had a man that owned a chain of um, fast food restaurants. And I remember I was uh, at some place where I overheard a conversation. He was kind of interested in God. and His name was Frank. So I made an appointment with Frank. And he's the only business guy that I've ever shared with that took notes on a yellow pad. And when we got done, he had about a half a paragraph written. He said, Bill... Is that all there is to this? I said, yes. He said, it's too simple. First objection. What do you think I said? One word. Why? Why? Here's his first objection. He said, what is God going to do with all of my businesses? Now, do any of you have any idea what God's going to do with his business? How can you? I don't know if God's going to bust him or bless him. I don't have the foggiest idea. So I said, why? And here was his answer that kind of burped up. Apparently, either the issue was only a defense mechanism about his businesses, or God resolved it for him, or whatever it was, because I thought he was counting cost. He left that objection and went all the way over in his mind to a totally different one I had not heard before. He said, what about my mother? you got to understand the dynamics here. Here's a 40-year-old millionaire suddenly concerned about his mother. And for me, this was an incredibly intense moment. I'm praying. I'm doing all things I've been teaching. And my mind is trying to what is he talking about? What is he talking about? And finally, I remember, I said, why, Frank? What about your mom? And he named a religion. He said, she's very much a part of that religion. She'll disown me. And I just thank God for the Holy Spirit, because I remembered a verse that I believe is Matthew 10, 37, that said, anyone who is not willing to leave his mother or father for me is not worthy of me so I went back to that verse and I said Frank I want you to read the verse good and then I said what does it say to you and he said I'm going to worry about my mother later gave his life to Jesus Christ he's now 10 years later a deacon in his church my point is there's a tremendous freedom for all of us to just simply ask questions the Lord did it all the time. Now, I want to thank all of you for listening because it shows a desire and a commitment to want to be effectively used by the Lord Jesus Christ. Each of you are so wonderfully and distinctly made. I'll bet you I have met at least 15 to 20 different personalities here in this room. And every one of you are unique And I have a great freedom to say to all of you that if you walk out of here saying this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard and that I'm going to go out and share my faith my way I'm the happiest evangelist you've ever met. Because you see this isn't a single way to share your faith. This is simply a way not the way. You have a tremendous freedom whether you want to use tracks, bake loaf of bread, go somewhere, feed the poor, do whatever it is God has calling you in your distinctiveness to do. The one thing I want to remind you of, you cannot fail. Success is sharing your faith, living your life out for Jesus Christ. It has nothing whatsoever to do with bringing anyone to the Lord. My prayer for all of you, would be my, one of my favorite verses of Scripture out of Philemon, verse 6, where it says, I pray that you would be active in sharing your faith so that you would know all the good things you have in Christ Jesus our Lord. That will be for my, my prayer for all of you who listened. all of you who have decided to do something about your silence, All of you who have decided that God was serious when he said, go into the world and make disciples. A disciple cannot begin until he first accepts the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we have a responsibility to grow in the word of God and in fellowship with a body of Bible-believing believers, nurtured, worshiping in a church. But the excitement, I promise you, the excitement... For you who choose obedience to the Word of God will be that you have just been that. There will be an anticipation in your life that God will use you. The likes of us He has chosen to use to carry out the great command and the great commission. May God bless all of you as you continue what you're doing in your distinctiveness and in your uniqueness. Well, I'm excited that you've heard the seminar, and I'm looking forward to what God is going to do with your life as you choose obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, God is not looking for successful people, but obedient people. Perhaps you'd like to write me for more information where we could be an encouragement to you or your church. Why not consider calling some of your friends into your home that are part of your church, your cornonea, your Bible studies, or small groups?